Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for believers, doubters and everyone in between. Um, uh, nothing weird paranormal happened to me this week, Ben. But when we talked about clickbait uh, regarding some of those videos on YouTube about the James Webb telescope, you know, mm. new amazing discovery found yeah, life at yeah. the end of the galaxy. And you go, well, no, that video is not about it. I had a, uh, a newspaper headline which dragged me in in the same way. All it said was dinosaur bones found on the moon. No, come on. Well, exactly. And I went, oh, uh, that seems completely clickbaity, but I'm going to click it. Uh, and the story, well, it was kind of true, but they had dragged me in. Basically, uh, this guy had written an academic paper saying that uh, when the asteroid struck the Earth and killed the dinosaurs, that actually fragments of dinosaur bones could have been launched into space and ended up on the moon which was a bit of a non-story but you know so a they don't know that there's dinosaur bones on the moon and b it's just a theoretical thing that they would but then i thought they'd have probably been destroyed right i would have thought so but my god what how amazing would that be if if they'd been the moon had been covered in them yeah and the first astronaut would have landed there and gone hang on a minute <laughs> yeah there's an enormous femur yeah there's a tyrannosaurus rex fully preserved <laughs> <laughs> oh that just sounds yeah it was a slow news day wasn't it it really was yeah well um is that a tough segue <laughs> uh n- no no it would have been a dream wouldn't it if that had been true it would have been a dream, yeah. So today we're looking partly at dreams, but also partly at ghosts. Okay. Because I dug up a book which has just become available for anyone to read called the Project Gutenberg ebook of the Book of Dreams and Ghosts by Andrew Lang, to give it its full title. That is a full title. And where we're going to go with this is look at some of his stories and then see what modern science says about them because he's got a very specific view this is andrew lang and he's written a preface so uh he says since the first edition of this book appeared in 1897 you have to put on a uh, a special british voice here a considerable number of new and startling new ghost stories british foreign and colonial not yet published have reached me um and then he goes on to say why he's doing it and he says Second sight abounds. Crystal gazing has advanced in popularity. But he's got this view that there's a a real correlation between dreams and ghosts. Now, he doesn't try and really tie it down into what you would call a scientific theory, which is what we'll come on to. But he he has this um, very interesting way of describing it. He says, every hallucination, in inverted commas, is a perception as good and true as a sensation as if there were a real object there. The object happens not to be there, that is all. A ghost, if seen, is undeniably so far a a hallucination that gives the the impression of the presence of a real person in flesh and blood and usually clothes. We've spoken about naked ghosts before. (laughs) No such person in flesh, blood and clothes is actually there So far, at least, every ghost is a hallucination. And that, in brief, is the modern doctrine of ghosts, which um, I think is quite a bold statement, but people back then, they tended not to mince their words and kind of go, well, I'm right, and you're not. He sounds like he's been reading a lot of Greek philosophy. Well, (laughs) check out this line. The old doctrine of ghosts regarded them as actual spirits of the living or the dead, freed from the flesh of the grave, This view, whatever else may be said for it, represents the simple philosophy of the savage, which may be correct (laughs) or erroneous. (laughs) Bit harsh. uh, This book is full of troubling words that I have edited out. Um, But the reason I sort of thought it would be interesting to compare what he's saying to what people are saying then because he's talking about he says modern science when it admits the possibility of occasional hallucinations in the sane and healthy also admits of course the existence of apparitions so he's kind of got this confused philosophy and basically is saying 
sometimes people dream things which make them think that they're awake and they're seeing a ghost. Yeah. So he's got quite a few stories which seem like the old hag. He also says that people get premonition dreams. So they dream stuff that comes true. And yeah. that's an interesting topic. We'll come up uh, onto later. But can, that, I, can I just yeah. ask a quick question at this point? So just so I'm clear, the uh, first edition of this book was published in the late 1800s. Yeah. So, we're, so we've got this scenario where there was an initial uh, version of this book in the late 1800s and then the authors updated it with this with new info. New, with, with new stories, right, yes, yes, yes. Um, and that idea of dream premonitions is... <laughs> I picked out a few of the, 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 the stories that um, caught my eye because quite a lot of them are... You know how you've been doing some of these Victorian ghost stories recently, yeah? And it's it's very similar to there was there was a a, a great wailing, and I looked over, and there was a mysterious man at the window, right. and the maid swore blind that she'd seen it, and it's all this kind of stuff. But the first one, when we talk about dream premonitions, is called the Pig in the Dining Room, which is just the most <laughs> random of all stories, and it's it's quite short, and it did make me laugh out loud. Um, Mrs. Atlay, wife of a late bishop of Hereford, of a late bishop, a late bishop of Hereford. Well, he should have got a watch dreamed one night that there was a pig in the dining room of the palace. She came downstairs and in the hall told her governess and children of the dream before family prayers. When these were over, nobody who was told the story having left the hall in the interval, she went into the dining room and there was the pig. <laughs> it was proved to have escaped from its sty after Mrs Atlay got up. Here the dream is of the common grotesque type. Millions of such <laughs> things are dreamed. The event, the pig in the palace, is unusual, and the coincidence of the pig in the dream is still more so. <laughs> but unusual events must occur, and each one has millions of dreams as targets to aim at, so to speak. It would be surprising if no target were ever to hit. So I quite like that, because yeah. he's basically saying there's probably millions of people that dreamt about a pig in the hallway right, right. and it never materialised. Yeah. And I think what he's trying to do is qualify what he obviously realised was quite a bizarre story. I was thinking that if they'd got that, that, that person who'd had the, uh, the premonition to join the premonitions bureau, she would have been kicked out within a few weeks. <laughs> Stop with the pigs again! <laughs> Can't you predict a natural disaster or something? No sir, more pigs! Sir, I dreamt of a horse! <laughs> oh, for God's <laughs> sake! <laughs> Great, there's a horse in the hallway. Yeah. Um, but the, this particular author seems to put a lot of stay on um, very upper-class people dreaming of things right. or having paranormal experiences there's a hierarchy of the dreamer is that what you say uh, well very much so so he relates this story which is about thomas lord littleton um who was apparently born 1744 and this bit is important in 1768 he entered the house of commons and in 1769, he was unseated for bri bribery. Right. Um, and then he vanishes from public view. And then he comes back in 1772 and he's returned to his father's house and married. So it's kind of like a disgraced son and he comes back. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I love this bit. This, this just tells you everything you need to know about the time. He then went abroad in brackets with a barmaid. <laughs> until, until 1773 when his father died right. in January 1774 he took his seat in the House of Lords in November 1779 Littleton went into opposition and this is the very important bit on Thursday 25th of November he denounced the government in a magnificent speech and he said perhaps I shall not keep it long so he's talking about his uh, his position in the House of Lords right but there's a peculiar element to this, and this seems to have been a common ghost story at the time because he, he talks about a lot about how this was recorded in various different ways. On the night before his speech, that of Wednesday 24th of November, Littleton had seen a ghost and had been told that he would die 
in three days. He mentioned this to Rowan Hamilton, don't know who this is, on the Friday. On the same day, or on the Friday, he mentioned it to Cap- Captain As- Askoff, who told... <laughs> Who told a lady? Who told Mrs. Thrail? <laughs> who told the barmaid? <laughs> it is, it's absolutely remarkable that they just write all these people down. You're like, oh, Mrs. Thrail, yes. On the Friday, he went to Epsom with friends and mentioned the ghost to them, among others to Mr. Fortescue. About midnight on the 28th of November, Lord Littleton died suddenly in bed, his valet having left him for a moment to fetch a spoon for stirring his medicine. (laughs) The cause of death was not stated and there was no inquest. And he says, he then goes on to say, this literally is all that is known about Lord Littleton's ghost. Um, And so he says there are different narratives, but in some of the narratives, very specifically... Um, one concerning a Lady Dawson, a Mrs. Dawson, sorry. Um, he claims that he dreamt this. Right. And to other other people relating the story say it was a, in his words, a hallucination, a waking hallucination. In other words, a full spectral apparition. Yeah. Um, but he does say, considering the remoteness of time, the story is very well recorded. It's chronicled by, and then he lists out all these people that we've never heard of. Um, and there's a paper which l- lists um, deceased peers that is edited by a Lady Mary Coke. And she lists this this apparitional appearance okay, so in this official like, document. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she's connecting it with this premonition. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, although the story doesn't quite end there, there's a kind of footnote to it because he says, um, on the 27th of November, 1779, Mr Andrews, MP, a friend of Littleton's, was awakened by finding Lord Littleton drawing his curtains... Suspecting a practical joke, a practical joke, yeah, just going to dress up as your dead friend. Um, He hunted for his lordship both in his house and in the garden. Of course, he never found him. The event was promptly recorded in the next number of the Scots magazine in December uh, 1779. So, again, it's annoying the way he writes it, but I think it's at the time. But basically what he's saying is people are dreaming this stuff yeah and it's an accident and there's quite a lot of like um in-depth uh i guess character assassination of lord littleton because apparently he at one point um killed three women by um uh beating them to death and there's all kinds of really nasty stuff and there's kind of like this belief that Perhaps he was kind of sick and ill and twisted, and maybe somebody had um, a vendetta against him. Some maybe some kind of rep- retribution. Some kind of retribution, and yeah. so again, he's kind of stating it as, well, it it's probably one of those things where he told people he was going to die, and then there's a really interesting theory attached to this that I found in another paper that was about this. It's much more famous than I thought. This case, and somebody else is saying, well, it was the fashion at the time to see ghosts um it wasn't the fashion to record them back in those early uh, early days that we're sort of talking johnson's time there not boris the other one yeah um but maybe his valet and some other people got the idea well if he thinks he's gonna die in three days and he's told everyone right we should okay. make that come true right okay. so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and um I, I maybe it doesn't have that much detail but did it describe what this ghost was looked like? So I was thinking of Abraham Lincoln seeing his doppelganger, yes. or was it? It was it a bit more kind of a Christmas Carol where some kind of entity visits? And... Uh, well, this is the thing. Um, when he says that was li- that is literally all we know. Yeah, he there doesn't seem to be like he doesn't say. Oh, it was a man about five ten. Yeah, wearing Cornish brogues. You know. <laughs> yeah, I guess if it would have been a doppelganger it probably would have been mentioned as part of the story i reckon because that would be quite a thing wouldn't it it? yeah yeah there there are some other um doppelganger stories in here um most of which are very similar to the the ones that we covered on that doppelganger episode yeah so it wasn't worth going down them but yeah again he sort of says you know these are dream apparitions this is 
not in he, he doesn't have the language at the time but it's your subconscious telling you that there's something wrong and is going on right here um because he's he's trying to recall these factually remember he's not he doesn't i i think he sits on the skeptical side yeah um so that sort of he doesn't come at it with a um hysterical point of view i think yeah but he does um he does like i love a title this one is called the ghost that bit and he's removed names and places, so um, you'll have to bear with me for that. Although, this is what I particularly like, is these sort of early authors, the detail they put in, Emma, one of seven children, and then like goes a list where she's from. Like, Why change her name if you're going to go into so much detail? Anyway, she was sleeping alone with her face towards the west, at a large house near, we don't know where, yeah. in the Staffordshire Moorlands. She has given orders to her maid to call her at the early hour. She was not surprised at being awakened between three and four on a fine August morning in 1840 by a sharp tapping at her door. When, in spite of a thank you I hear to the first and second raps, with the third came a rush of wind which caused the curtains to be drawn up towards the centre of the bed. She became annoyed, <laughs> as you would, and sitting up, called out, Marie, what are you about? Yeah, Marie, what are you about? <laughs> what are you about? Blowing up a wind in my bedroom. <laughs> Instead, however, of her her servant, her her servant. Her, 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 her. That's a tough line to say. You delivered that well. Um, <laughs> she was astonished to see the face of an aunt by, ma- by marriage. I love this. An aunt by marriage. <laughs> peering above and between the curtains. And at the same moment, whether unconsciously um, or not, she threw forward her arms, or whether they were drawn forward, as it were, in a vortex of air, she cannot be sure. One of her thumbs was sensibly pressed between the teeth of the apparition, though no mark afterwards remained on it. Right, so just to fill you in here, uh, an aunt by marriage who is dead appears as a ghost in her bedroom... With terrible wind. With terrible wind, bites Emma on the thumb, but doesn't leave a mark, and then she buggers off. And did she feel it? She she feels it, yes. So... She then goes and does a little bit of an investigation and she, that's when she finds out that this aunt is dead and it's recorded that on the thumb of the corpse was a mark as if it had been bitten Ooh. in the same place. Ooh. So That's a bit like the ring, isn't it? It, it Oh, Pass, yeah. It passes on. That's the kind of implication, isn't it? And, well, so because the, there's like a physical thing going on unlike most of the other cases he says where facts and experience whether real or hallucinatory end where the mytho right hang on this is a word i've never said out loud before mythopaic which now so mythopaic i looked up for you because i knew you'd ask (laughs) it's a thought process from which myth is fomented and that's going to come in useful when we talk about the science in a bit fancy comes in readers may decide for themselves so he's saying Basically, he's doing what your author did the other week, which is silly woman, didn't know what she was talking about, right. backwards engineered the story about the thumb yeah. to fit what she discovered about the dead aunt. So the 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 pain in the thumb was uh, she's either post-rationalising it or, or, or some psychological thing that's made her think this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are those are three stories which kind of illustrate where he's coming from, yeah. and there's no point doing any more. You can read it for yourself, but there's hundreds of these stories where there's a thing that happens, and he kind of goes, "Well, that was an hallucination." And bearing in mind, he like, and this is important for what I'm about to talk about again. When he says hallucination, he means figment of the imagination, but. He isn't doubting the reality of it, which is a hard thing to get your head around. But right. what what he's saying is just because it isn't there doesn't mean it's not there. So, again, he's finding I think he just hasn't got the words to sort of say, um, are you seeing something that other people can't see? Right. So a little bit like we might say to a medium, you know, a medium says, oh, there's a tall man standing behind you in the corner. And he would say, well, that's an hallucination. Well, it is to... It, that's how we would describe it, but to the medium, it's as real as day, and he isn't denying that either. 
So that's kind of tying into some of those theories we've talked about on the podcast before, kind of parallel universe stuff of, um, yeah, ants looking at the moon or driving around in BMWs that most of us can't perceive what's going on, but maybe just for a few split seconds, the people that this has happened to may have done. It's those kind of theories that were right. coming into my mind when you were talking. Yeah, and I thought, well, because I've never... I don't really sort of buy into that idea of... I don't really like the um, dreams predict the future thing, but I'm going to... There's a piece I'm going to read to you in a minute which will, will sort of deny that and i know we've um there's been like dream experiments in in the states and stuff but i've always felt it's kind of um it's got that jot feeling about it i find it it's difficult to reach a satisfactory conclusion or so i thought but also how does that tie in i think it's it felt like a leap to tie in a biting ghost with um a dream function yeah but then i came across some stuff so let me just take you a. It, it, it's all, there's a few scientific papers here we'll talk about. Now, the first one is called Dream Reality Confusion in Borderline Personality Disorder, a Theoretical Analysis. And this comes from the Unit of Sleep Psychology at the Institute of Psychology uh, in a university in Krakow, Poland. Right. I've dodged saying the name because it begins with a J and then there's a whole load of other letters. Um, <laughs> Although I've got, I've got this vision of people ringing the bell of the, of the sleep psychology unit. Like, no, no bloody answer. <laughs> <laughs> They're off snoozing again. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. I've been ringing for 10 minutes. <laughs> the also, but the, not only that, but the weird thing that I noticed about reading this paper is everybody's first name... Is fine. So this is this is written by two doctors, Barbara and Dagna. That's fine. I yeah, can do you that. Can do bit. that. Yep, yep. The surnames bear. There's hardly any vowels in there. I don't <laughs> even know where to begin. But you need everything you need to know. Yeah, is is there? And what they so they call dream reality confusion. They simplify it down to DRC. Right. Right. And throughout the paper, they call borderline personality disorder BDP. Yeah. And they, so they hypothesize that people with BD, BPD are more likely to experience DRC compared to people in non-clinical population. Right. Let's just go ahead around that minute. So if you're diagnosed with um, uh, B, uh, B, I'm just going to call it borderline, borderline personality, personality disorder, disorder. <laughs> which is a real thing, right? That's yeah. a that's a really acknowledged thing. Yeah. Um they can experience symptoms which mean that the world of their dreams and the world of reality is more likely to be confused for them than right. it is for the rest of us. Yeah. And they cite another paper which says that nearly two-thirds of people with borderline personality disorder experience disassociative symptoms, and disassociative symptoms are correlated with a fantasy proneness. Both disassociative symptoms and fantasy proneness are related to DRC. Right. So that is a really awkward way of saying, basically, in another paper, people start having fantasies at which are it's considered to be a byproduct of having this borderline personality. Yeah. And when you go into the notes, that isn't just them imagining they're seeing ghosts. I'm not saying that. They're sort of saying, oh, you know, they um they imagine they're talking to somebody that isn't there. Or they develop a weird superstition. So mm. they have to touch a shelf on their yeah. way out of the door, otherwise they'll die. And they really believe it, right? So they really yeah, believe it. Some compulsive behaviour comes into that. And also the disassociation is, it's not, it's not a clinical definition, but as my understanding of it, it is almost withdrawing yourself from the reality of what you're dealing with at that moment as a coping mechanism, isn't it, into almost a semi-fantasy world. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and funnily enough, they go on to say that people with borderline personality disorder 
also have more nightmares than other people. That's right. derived from another paper from 2008. And the dreams that they have are more, are more likely to be confused with reality and tend to be more realistic and unpleasant and are reflected in waking behaviour. Right. So this is, this is um, uh, from notes from another paper. And basically what that is saying is that if you have, uh, to put it um, at its most basic, if you have a nightmare that an owl attacks you. Let's just use that because we've been talking a lot about owls recently. Yeah. You then go on to possibly develop a phobia of owls, right. even though it was just a dream. And when you yeah. say to that person, but owls don't attack people, they're like, no, they do. And what happened in their dream becomes reality right. for them. Yeah, it's hard to cut off what's the dream and what their reality actually is. Yeah, And and then th- the basically the final piece of the conclusion of this paper is that their findings suggest that people who suffer from BPD are more susceptible to confusing dream content with actual waking events. And that is basically the whole point of the paper. And I thought that was really interesting. So I could see why that is, but they're just focusing on people with borderline personality disorder. Now, some of those cases that were in that previous book... It's possible that all of those people had undiagnosed borderline personality disorder because it wasn't something we knew about yep. back then. So I was like, I wouldn't. Oh, that's interesting. So I wonder if this hypothesis works for people who've got something else going on medically. Yeah. And then they start yeah. coming up with things. And I thought that's the closest I've seen to being able to explain how a dream can become reality mm. but again i and, and the nightmares bit is interesting as well and when i read that i thought of that book that we covered about the welsh abduction mm. and you could see how a persistent nightmare about being taken aboard an alien spacecraft and being forced to breed if this was case if this was she was sort of you know diagnosed with borderline personality disorder maybe that's a thing that Mm. actually maybe this paper is sort of giving us a clue as to what was going on there possibly not saying it is just possibly yeah and also as you're talking about that uh, it's reminding me about some of the stuff we've done on sleep paralysis that um that once you're in a sleep paralysis episode the misfiring in your brain and your subconscious is still engaged with your conscious but you're effectively waking it sounds similar to that but this is more a uh, a connected to the personality disorder rather than a straight I don't know how you describe it kind of medical changing in your brain misfiring yes yeah so you or you, it might be connected both ways who knows so your neurons are basically rewired in the wrong way yeah yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense actually um and then, so we can actually go further with this. This comes from the Department of Neurology at Boston University. And the paper is entitled Dreams as a Source of Supernatural Agent Concepts. Hmm. And this one is slightly less difficult to pronounce because it's, it's written natively in English. And the opening abstract says, We present a theory of the creativity of dreams as well as the psychopathy of religious delusions with respect to production of fundamental forms of religious cognition, specifically supernatural agent cognitions. We suggest that dream cognitions are particularly efficient at producing highly memorable and impactful experiences with supernatural agents because dreams involve three processes that are prerequisites to the generation of God concepts. And then it goes on to describe various um, states of the brain when it's asleep and what we know about people accepting things to be true, right? So um, uh, if a brain is a simulation of an alternate reality, which they do state it is, if other parts of the brain are open to recording memories at that time, those things could slip into short-term memory and then slip into Mm. long-term memory and then they become real and because the brain is creating all of these weird fantasies to try and explain characters which aren't just the normal people that live around us we some people turn them into jesus or um, some kind of prophet other people turn them into 
that was my dead aunt. Yeah. That's basically what they're saying. And, and and that's reminding me of almost that, I was thinking as you were saying it, it reminds me of that moment when you're just dropping off to sleep and you are in a kind of mixture, aren't you, of a fantasy and reality world. Similarly, when you first wake up, that process, you know, I, I don't know the processes, but it's... It doesn't. It's not like your brain immediately goes, "Oh, I was sleeping. Turn that off." It's not like a switch, and now I'm awake. There's got to be some lag in that process. Uh, and what I was thinking was, I'm sure nobody's ever done a study of this, but if most reported ghost sightings are during time of sleep, that would add some credence to some of the theories you're talking about, wouldn't it? Oh uh, Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And uh, there's something related to what you were just saying, which I think is, is really interesting. I think one of the most fascinating bits that come out of this, it says that... Um, be to, in, in an effort to understand, I'm, I'm again, I'm having to praise you because there's a lot of scientific words in there. Yeah. But this, the supernatural agent, the SA, it has a exaggerated degree of agency. So, um, when uh, you know, if you dream that uh, this person that you've, you're dreaming of could fly, mm. um, that's a, a degree of exaggerated agency, right? Because yeah. people can't fly. Yeah, and so. Those people, when they start to believe it, they have to embed these supernatural dream characters into myths in waking life to be able to explain why those things are real. Almost reconcile them with themselves. That's right. And then that goes back in to add to that supernatural dream character to build that character up. It's almost like they're creating a canon. So the next time they dream about it, the world is enhanced because you've found a way of explaining why they're flying and suddenly you start building these stories. And what I thought was, um, there's a note in here. So we've, we sort of know through popular media that some people who have schizophrenia have religious delusions. Yeah. And they say that, um, there's a, a memory model. And I've never heard of this, but, uh, Llewellyn's ancient art of memory model. I, I guess it's a psychological thing. It seems like everybody who's reading this paper peer review would know what that meant, but they say when they apply this idea of these supernatural agents to Llewellyn's model, it starts to make sense why people who have schizophrenia, which, uh, it causes REM sleep patterns to intrude into waking consciousness. Right, right. These religious delusions are even more likely to emerge. That's why we get serial killers who are schizophrenic telling yeah. us that their dog's next door, their next door neighbor's dog is God. You know, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. it's coming from. And this is all a very um, deep way of partially excusing our original author for his idea Mm. that dreams and ghosts are in some way related. And when you were speaking about it, I I was slightly coming from a sceptic point of view, thinking, why why does everyone see the same thing? But then I thought, actually, that could be a cultural perspective, couldn't it? So back in the time that your guy in the late 1800s was putting together these ghost stories you know the the culture of the time was very strong on ghosts and paranormal and superstition um whereas now that has more i mean we still get those ghost stories but it's poor, probably more prevalent that it's a ufo encounter rather than a ghost encounter that it you could be interpreting those dreams or those 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 things that you're trying to reconcile between sleeping and waking and you give them a cultural reference that is still bizarre, but easier to explain. So from ghosts in the Victorian era to UFOs now. Absolutely, 100%. And what this doesn't do is, of course, explain, you know, videos of um, UFO craft or, um, you know, electronically recorded apparitions and things like that and but, non-sleeping encounters as well and, and well unless you go into this kind of maybe more disorder route well, well yeah i mean i suppose that comes to a storytelling thing so it could be that you say oh i saw a ghost in the bathroom 
and I say, were you dreaming? And you say, no, I was wide awake. But actually what you've done is confused a dream memory with an awake memory. So it becomes reported as you saw it at four o'clock. Nobody else did, but you did. But that was because you've turned a dream into a reality. Or some kind of flashback even. Yeah, 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 exactly. So this does not explain the full phenomena of the paranormal at all. But it, it might explain why some people see things more often than others, but they're only self-reported. And I think it's that self-reporting thing. And I guess it also plays into just why we have to be careful of first-hand accounts, even if that person is incredibly credible, because all of their scientific papers point us to the the idea Mm. that they could be imagining it, even though they don't believe they're imagining it. They will pass a lie detector test Mm. because they believe it's true. Which is kind of coming back to the introduction you did to the the book. I, I guess what that's partly what the author was getting at, that it may not be our reality, but to the person who's experienced it, it's become their reality. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, you know, some, some in this paper, they say yeah. that um, the, uh, the non-human entities have increasingly complex autonomous powers and intentions. They, this is interesting. They say their bodies may not be clearly seen, but they do have minds that they frequently have unusual powers far beyond the capabilities of ordinary agents, flying, time travel, mind reading. Mm. And and it, this goes on to sort of turn into, you say, well, I didn't, I didn't see this thing, but I sensed they were there. I sensed it was old man and he could read my mind and um, he walked through the wall. So that is exactly what they're saying here. It's a supernatural agent mm. that um, you believe has these extraordinary powers because you've put that storyline around it. But because the brain has can't make up, you know, the face of an old man with a little wispy beard and a hat, just because the brain lacks the ability to superimpose that character definition on them, you go, well, I can't remember what he looked like or he was invisible. And I think that is... That is super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you might you might think then. So our original dude, dreams and apparitions and hallucinations, they could all explain some things. Yeah, Neo, yeah, yeah, they could. But what about the us joking about the pig in the hallway and him quite rightly saying. Loads of people could be dreaming about pigs right. in hallways. I was thinking about Vardikas as well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, Vardikas being you sense somebody is come home and then you realise they haven't and then, what, half an hour later they do, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, really interesting, as a side to this before I get on to the next bit, I, when I was looking for stories around this, because I was thinking I'd quite like to pick up some modern dream stories, I picked up one, which I'll tell you at the end, but most of them were pretty much... I dreamt that my grandfather's letter was in the bottom drawer, and it was, you know, yeah, all yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. But in amongst that, I counted at least 12 Vardiga stories wow. written in the last 10 days. Those ones where, um, you know, she said, oh, I heard my... my the one that struck me most was um, she, she heard her husband come in through the front door, dash upstairs and slam the bathroom door after dropping his keys in the front hallway... And she thought, oh, he must be desperate for the loo. She then goes, you know what? I need the loo as well. Starts waiting outside the bathroom. Can't wait any longer. Decides to crash into the bathroom. Not there. And then her husband comes home 20 minutes later. Absolute classic Vardiga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So chills down my back. Yeah. But I thought, well, there's, there's no way that we can prove that dreams tell the future. And then I came across this article and subsequent book by somebody called Dr. Julian Mossbridge. And this was first reported um, in the Daily Rail. Sorry about that. Um, but actually, she is very credible. I, f- I found um, loads and loads of um, work of hers. I mean, she doesn't just write about this. She is a neuroscientist. And um, she, she led a experimental um, psychologist group to look into dreams in the States because she reckons that she was saved herself by having a premonition about a house fire. Wow. 
And in her experiments, she showed that she could, she proves that the human brain itself um, changes the body in um, preparation for something that's going to happen in the future. And she, in her studies, reckons that 15 to 30 percent of people have had precognitive dreams. Now, the way that she so you might think, what do you mean the body changes itself yeah. for things of the future? So they she did this really clever study where a random number generator is assigned pictures and the pictures are either something threatening or something lovely like a flower. Yeah. And they measure the neural reactions the seconds before the pictures are shown. If there is a picture of a gun coming up, the brain reacts very differently to if there's a picture of a flower. And she proved that again and again with statistical analysis that... It absolutely happens. Wow. And and it's not known, obviously it's not known how or why that yeah, happens. Yeah. Um, That's a bit observer theory-esque, isn't it? It, it? Well, it's funny, again, funny you should say that because I've got a quote from someone on that. Okay. But her book is called The Premonition Code. And so she says, of course, the burning question, if precognition exists, how does it work? The idea of the future... The, uh, the idea the future may be glimpsed um, in the now sounds laughable. Surely the definition of time is that a flow of events from the past goes into the future. But, she says, physicists don't agree whether this simple flow of time exists. In most physics equations, for example, time can go forwards or backwards. Our concept of time flowing in one direction exists because we believe that certain events cause other events. So causality. We, mm. under- we all understand ca- causality. She says we're entering a time of scientific history where we're just starting to realise that we don't have a clear grasp on the rules of time. Now, I thought that that was, that was very good. That's a great way of answering that question, but it doesn't tell you yeah. how it works. It just says, well, perhaps time isn't as linear as we think. But does that mean, like... So there's there's two implications that she doesn't go into there. One is, are we then reliving something like are we? It, are, have we been here before? I mean, it was there. That isn't quite what she said because that wouldn't yeah. determine time goes both ways. Or it, are we precognizing something because we're remembering it from well, a different time? And the other thing I was thinking, back to our simulated reality is are we reliving something that we've relived before in kind of game mode, you know, because that's how games work, right? You, And I know it's from the player that you realise, oh, well, no, I do look under that stone and I pick that up and I put that there and that takes me further on. But if you are a piece of code that's playing that game, you've probably made that journey thousands and thousands of times yeah and there is only one outcome which would explain to a certain degree how you may have some instinct of the photo of the gun is coming rather than the photo of the flower right right that's exactly right and and that is very similar to the theory i don't think we've spoken about it on the show but i've read some of his books and um, anthony peak right cheating the ferryman and he has a very um i guess very different view of the the world and how humans work and stuff and and he writes about how we have an agent a, a daemon he calls it right um who is like the person playing the game in that code that's right. the way he would describe it but i thought of anthony peak when i was reading her stuff and i found i was going through one of his um ama sessions on uh reddit and a question about dreams comes up and his reply is fascinating and kind of plays into what she was saying there in in that statement about time. So he says, and this is quite short, as Lao Tzu wrote, am I a man man dreaming he is a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming he is a man? We believe that consensual reality is real because others confirm the things we see, which makes it veridical. However, the existence of other people in consensual reality is only presented to us by our senses and the sensory inputs are processed by, for example, the visual cortex, which presents the images to consciousness. 
but the same thing happens in the dream state we see things and things are illuminated by some form of internal light mm. i argue that both are equally real from the viewpoint of the observer so we have now mm. come full cycle back yeah. round to sort of that original statement from that book but just put in a more yeah, thoughtful yeah, yeah. and modern way and that's making me think of our perception of colours that always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. You know what we perceive as green. It's oh, like we yeah. don't we don't know what green is, and certainly to other animals it's different. But we always think green is green. It's only when you stop to think about it that it's just green to us. Yeah, it's making me think of that. It also made me think this idea of whether it's repeated code or or some of the stuff that you're talking about. It, it and the picture thing made me think of remote viewing as well, which would. Ex- could explain to a certain degree how remote viewing works because we've seen that thing before it's a it's a memory rather than a yeah yeah and and actually when you go into um some of um the comments on on that daily mail article a lot of people do refer to remote viewing i think you're absolutely right in that um but it's that sort of horrible recursive loop because you have to have seen it to remember it so how did if you didn't remote view it how would you have seen it to remember it yeah. but yeah i know where i, I well, know where you're coming from and i know this probably isn't technically possible but it's almost like you've done it so many times the code <laughs> is so embedded now that there is some residual memory that's there oh yeah yeah that well yes yes that's true that's true yeah well and, and you know anthony peak would say that because um his whole philosophy in cheating the ferryman is that you don't die but you relive the same life again and again and again right. and you're you're it, like a computer game your daemon is just trying to get a better score every time yeah yeah cool but, really fascinating um but just to illustrate so we had all that flowery language from before and i think people often just sort of they have premonition dreams, and this is kind of that um, doctor's viewpoint. Is like you have premonition dreams, but they're so it's a bit like jots. They're so inconsequential yeah. that you kind of you just go. You either put it down to deja vu, or you just say, "Oh, well, it doesn't really matter." And and here's a typical one, just to round off, because I think this for me illustrates um, exactly what a lot of us I think have. And um, I just picked this up from. Uh, a forum and this person says i had a dream about being in someone's house they were showing us around and we walked along a narrowish corridor with doors down one side they then opened a small door which was more tucked away near a corner and it opened into a huge vaulted loft space with a mezzanine level a couple of weeks later on holiday we randomly met someone with dogs on a beach and ended up arranging to call at his house Got to the house and stopped for a cup of tea. He wanted to show us around. On the first floor of this house was a fairly narrow corridor with doors along it. As we walked towards the end, he opened a smaller door which led to a huge vaulted loft with a mezzanine level. The whole layout was the mirror image of what I dreamed. Now, it's so inconsequential. Yeah. um, But might have been fondly remembered from the past because they made a new friend, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's so... It's just so deliciously inexplicable, Mm. but with some scientific background to prove that actually we are able to imagine the future and it be accurate. For whatever reason it is, yeah. But it does, I think that's interesting, the inconsequential nature, because it also would explain uh, your pig story that in a way you've remembered it because there is something kind of weird or surreal about a pig running around inside a house so you would remember that rather than you know i i put coffee in my teacup by mistake you know what i mean you're not going to remember that but either things that are, are disturbing or totally different or or surreal or strange or funny may be easier to remember, but you're remembering all the time. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And it might be that also you are... You are in some way shaping reality as you perceive it. Yeah, that's true. um, And that that notion that Anthony Peake brings in, uh, which is consensual reality, so, you know... 
I get you know he means a reality we can all agree on. Um, because you are the observer, how do we know that you can't change consensual reality? If you are so minded to, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. see what I mean. So it all becomes it all becomes very very difficult to. We always want to like. <laughs> I, I, this is my opportunity to say it, Ben. I think me, you, and all our listeners should dream that the quantum mechanics have great success. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, that would that would be very nice. Yeah. That would be very nice, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there is there is a thought where if I had... I must have had a very, very bad dream if I'm living this reality. <laughs> um, yeah. I should probably watch stop watching Sky News. <laughs> but um, anyway, that that is my verbal essay for this week. That, that was fascinating, that. I, we, I like... I like it's funny, I was thinking this the other day. We've not had an episode for a while where we've gone off on kind of weird philosophical... Philosoph- phil- I can't even say it. That's easy for you to say. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> phil- philosophical discussions and theories. So I, um, I was I was missing one. And uh, yeah, we've managed to do one. Fascinating though, isn't it? I, I do... I do... And, and I'll tell you what, it makes me... That's what I like about the fact that we do try and come at this from you know the believer doubter and in between thing because i i think a lot of paranormal podcasts maybe wouldn't kind of explore that theme and i guess we're not saying it's a definite but it's an interesting theory to pick away at right yeah yeah i mean um if i was going to recommend further listening anybody who listens to this probably has heard of mysterious universe they did a really wonderful interview with anthony peak I'm going to say earlier this year, but time just dilates. Well, so it's relative. It, it's relative. <laughs> it it could have been last year, but if you uh, and it might be a subscriber only episode. But I think it's the best interview I've ever heard with Anthony Peak. And if you don't listen to that, just find him on um, any platform. He, I think, he is the closest to coming up with avant-garde explanations for the rea- for the differences in our perceived reality, dream reality, and stuff like that. And he does base it in science, but sometimes the science is very hard to understand. His book, Cheating the Ferryman, has got quite a lot of um, mathematical stuff in there, which I massively appreciate, but I find it very difficult to follow because my brain doesn't work in right. that way. Well, but if good. yours does, you should definitely give it a go because he is great. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I, now I'm thinking... Does this does this mean, which would really mess with your brain, that we have done this episode thousands and thousands of times before? Well, could we not have just used the previous recording? <laughs> exactly, we could have saved ourselves a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait. That means we'll have done all of our recordings that we've ever needed. Right. Wait. So, Ooh. where are they? Where have they gone? Right, you need to dream about an SD card. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> it's got about another 2,000 shows yeah, on it. Yeah, a big server that's got them all on. Wow, okay. That slightly fried my brain. Um, brilliant. That was really fascinating, but really, really fascinating. That was a really interesting discussion. Um, if you did like that, uh, we'd love a review. I know we ask all the time, but it does really, really help us. So... Uh, if you can, just go to wherever your platform is and just leave us a nice review. That would be superb. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with uh, more quantum mechanics, weirdness, philosophy and strangeness next week. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics